Psalm 115, verse 1. Not to us, Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory because of your love and faithfulness. We're here uh, this morning to give thanks to God for his faithfulness through his people in this place. Although we're saying goodbye to this building, this is really not about bricks and mortar. It is about the faithfulness and love of God through his people in this place, which became a place of blessing, a place where the good news has been proclaimed, a place where believers have been taught and trained up for mission and ministry, a place where the hungry have been fed, a place where the lonely have found community, a place where the blind have gained sight and where the lost have been found. The story of this place finds its origin as a mission community 165 years ago, in 1854, when outreach meetings were held in cottages in Alma Place, just down the road in East Oxford, in open-air meetings initiated by the widow of a clergyman. Later, in the 18, in 1870s, the ministry was led by Mr. B. Comfort, after whom our Comfort Trust is named. And at that time, he felt the limitations of that original space for their ministry and mission. And so in 1879, land on this site was purchased by Mr. George Kempson. And on the 14th of April that year, the foundation stone that you can see up there on the wall was laid by a certain Mr. Alderman Gulpin. That stone itself, believe it or not, came from the old city jail in Gloucester Green. So from a place to lock sinners up to a place where they can be set free. Mr. Alfred Trotman was the first pastor of the mission. He died at the age I am now, 47, in 1890. And it was said of him that his early death was due to overwork amongst the poor and needy in this area. By the end of the 19th century, the first hall was once again considered too small for the requirements of their ministry and work. And so in 1901, plans were made for the rebuilding in white brick with, with bath stone and the addition of the Gothic porch, which you see in the windows that we now have. And that was at the cost of 900 pounds. What a bargain, eh? <laughs> Whilst that work was going on and being carried out, the church kept meeting in a marquee on a site nearby. And this is something that we have considered as a possibility as we continue to uh, redevelop the old schoolhouse. Watch this space. During that period from 1890 to 1933, Henry Clifford led the mission. He was the pastor in 1901 when the main building was erected and oversaw a period of outstanding development in the spiritual work of the mission. The Jubilee uh, Souvenir Handbook records that at the early stage in the life of Malden Road Mission Hall, this was the most unbelievably prosperous time. There were 270 children in this very hall for Sunday school uh, weekly. That's more than we are here today. Of Henry Clifford, it is recorded that during that same year, 1901, he made 2,000 visits, conducted 300 religious services, visited 36 deathbeds, 
and conducted 40 funerals. No pressure, Dan. Um, I don't think any of our subsequent pastors have kept up with that. But this teaching and pastoral work was also matched by an equally passionate and dedicated demonstration of the love of God to the neediest in this area. From this very place, the hall was the base of a soup kitchen that reached out to the poorest in this area, especially in the Depression years. The services of Holy Communion that were conducted here included an offering for the poor of the district, and gifts of coal and groceries and clothing were regularly distributed to those in need. And that's why we're particularly delighted and grateful that the new owners of the chapel will be the Porch Day Centre. Currently at 139 Morden Road, down the road, they are a charity set up by the All Saints Sisters of the Poor in 1986. With this same desire to serve the most vulnerable, providing day-long support for homeless and vulnerably housed people wanting to move forward in their lives, away from street life and addiction. And we're so grateful that Jackie and John and Sister Frances could be with us here this morning. Thank you for coming today. After uh, Mr. Clifford's death in 1933, Josiah Bennett was lent, as it were, to the mission from his church for a, inverted commas, short period. That loan period lasted until his retirement. But through that period and later on, membership at the mission hall declined significantly, down to less than 10 people. Then in 1948, new trustees were appointed, and Gerald Hennegolf, Brian and Janet, we all, we all know, um, was in, uh, Gerald, Brian's father, was invited to take on the leadership, and the work began to build up again. Along with David Lever, Peter Lever's father, who we all know, they led the church through significant change and growth for almost 30 years in a variety of different roles. I'm sorry about the light. I hope you can see that clearly enough. Peter, Peter told me recently that during that time, there were a lot of different visiting speakers that used to come Sunday by Sunday because both of these men had full-time jobs. 30 years leading the church with full-time jobs. General, Gen Gerald Hennegolf was the chief engineer at the Radcliffe Infirmary and David Le Lever as senior valuer for Oxford City Council. They led the church with a handful of elected deacons for more than 25 years before calling a full-time minister. We're delighted that Brian's son, Mark, can be here. As, uh, thank you so much for coming. Um, and uh, we're hopeful that Brian and Janet will be with us for lunch afterwards as well. Um, so look forward to seeing them. Thank you for being here today. And we look forward to hearing some of your reflections later on as well. For many years, Morden Road Church has been committed to strong evangelistic outreach through the Christian Endeavor Society with its mission led by the Reverend Percy Edmonds and his wife. In, in, the, in the Morden Road Century magazine, General Gerald Hennegolf recalls that, uh, quote unquote, the wonderful times of revival and conversions amongst the young people, the enthusiasm of members, portrayed by their willingness to ride on their bicycles to places such as Woodstock, Insham, and other Oxfordshire villages, and to be there for eight o'clock morning for prayer, Sunday by Sunday, Gerald noted that he himself stood amongst those who were converted through the Christian Endeavour meetings. Then in 1952, a two-week-long evangelistic campaign was organized. The meetings were held at this chapel for 14 days in a row, and at least 20 young people were converted. 
Margaret Reed, um, who we all know, recently shared her reflections with me about that time. She said, I was a teenager at the time, together with other teenagers within the church. There's no way we were going to all those meetings. <laughs> Looks like teenagers don't change much, do they? <laughs> but the Lord's hand was upon us, uh, she told me. And strangely enough, we found ourselves going to most of those meetings. And during that fortnight, we saw a lot of people committing their lives to the Lord, particularly young people. The Lord was indeed among us. During that time, after one of the services, Janet and Brian Hennegolf, who you also know, Jean Thomas, who some of you will remember, and I, she recalls, were invited to go through to the vestry and have a chat with the evangelist. The result of this was that Brian and Janet and Jean committed their lives to the Lord. I didn't at the time, she told me. I had, as a teenager, lost my father, and I needed some answers to many questions and wasn't ready to take that step. But after an eventful few weeks, I then became a Christian, and so that was the start of my journey. How the Lord blessed us, she told me, and his hand was upon us during that campaign, and we praise the Lord and thank him for all that he's done for us in this chapel here. To God be the glory, great things he has done. In the 1979 Centenary Hamburg, Gerald Hennigal cites further rebuilding phases in this place. One in the early 1960s when it became clear that the condition of the wall behind me was so badly damaged that it had to be rebuilt. The decision was taken to move ahead with engaging contractors long before the building fund was completed. Sound familiar, John? <laughs> it's a challenge to me, it's a challenge to me as I read his words that he says this, we asked no one but God for help. We prayed and he provided. He continues, the great day came on Good Friday 1965 when in a crowded church the rededication and reopening took place with great rejoicing. We were able to settle the builder's account in full. You who read this, writes Gerald, you who read this, take it as a testimony to the faithfulness of God who is able to do exceedingly more than we could ask or think of. And then he wrote this. But this is not the end of the story. Amen, I say. Read on. Well, read on, congregation, here this morning. It was at this point that the church was renamed from being Morden Road Mission Hall. It became Morden Road Evangelical Free Church. And then Gerald goes on to describe another rebuilding phase. Why do they have it? Again, because of limitations of space. The second was in 1972 with the reconstruction of the schoolroom and the installation of new toilets and a kitchen and the addition of two extra rooms for Sunday school work. Again, he writes, the Lord provided from a variety of sources, most notably the generosity of the congregation. And he writes this, the reopening of the new building at the rear of the church took place in November 1972. Again, the builder's account was paid in full. Great is thy faithfulness, O God, our Father. In 1976, the church called Bill Carter, who had been a member of Morden Road, to be a minister. Following his resignation, John Harvey and then Larry Carey led the church as caretakers until the 1990s. Their leadership was influential in preparing the church for what God was wanting to do through us over the next 30 years. The congregation grew to a size that in the late 1990s, a new full-time pastor was called. In 1996, Peter and Judy Comont joined the church with their three young children in tow, and Peter took on the leadership of MRC. 
Under Peter's leadership, the congregation grew again to the extent that once again, and you'll hear the theme, this building was too small for the requirements of the work. And so a very long search for a suitable building began. Eventually, a quote-unquote temporary solution of holding Sunday services at, a school, at the school hall of SS Mary and John uh, uh, happened in 2003. And that allowed the church to look for a more permanent place for MRC to continue its ministry. Then under Dan's leadership, Dan Steele's leadership, the church has continued to grow and plant other churches. And after much prayer, sacrificial giving, perseverance, and taking risks for the sake of the gospel, the church was able to make a successful bid for the old schoolhouse in March last year, 2018. I want to read as I close um, some words from the uh, centenary magazine that was produced in 1979. I'm not sure if this was Gerald or Reverend Carter who wrote this, but this is one paragraph. The vision of a small fellowship of Christians and God's faithfulness laid the foundation of a mission hall in Morden Road. He's talking about the beginning of the story. From that place, the light of God's love has been shining as people have witnessed in the surrounding area for the past 100 years. Today, he writes in 1979, our church is still a beacon shining out in the land of doubt. What of the future, you may ask? If the Lord tarries another 100 years, then we pray that this beacon shining out that, this, that the beacon shining out in 2079 may be just as bright and just as pure as it is today. But, he writes, we have a responsibility to ensure that those who will take our places in the future are encouraged, are taught, are trained. This is our responsibility to God. So like the founders of our mission community way back in the 1870s, or actually back in 1854, like the leaders in 1901, like those in 1933, like those in 1972, like those in 2003, who all felt the limitations of this space for the mission that God had given us. For some years now, we have felt the limitations of this space for the mission that God has given us. And the Lord has provided a new space, which will become a place where his mission will continue expand and thrive we believe back in 2012 when we first heard that the old schoolhouse was going on the market and wondered not just about the size of the financial hurdle uh, but also what it might be like for our our toffs that is the over 55s they're the crown jewels of Morden Road Church I worried how would it be for them to consider leaving this place that has been so significant and who was it but Brian Hennegolf who took me aside when they were still worshiping with us on Sundays. He took me aside and he said, don't hold back because of sentimentality. If the Lord is giving us this new building, then we must trust and be faithful. And then he told me all about God's faithfulness and provision in the rebuilding in the 1960s and the 1970s. And he reminded me that the Lord owns a cattle on a thousand hills. And if he calls, he will provide. And through this process, it has been that generation of the church who have been some of the most enthusiastic, prayerful, and generous in their support. As I finish, and I mean I really finish now, let me highlight Gerald Hennigolf's choice in 1951 Jubilee Souvenir Handbook to quote Ephesians 3.20. He wrote this, 
For the present and the future, we look to God, who has provided, because he is the one who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly more than we are able to, than we are able to ask or think of. This, this is our confidence. Not to us, not to us, but to your name be the glory because of your love and faithfulness.